What is up, crew? Welcome to another CloverTech podcast. It is June the 23rd, 2021. Welcome one, welcome all. Uh, if you are in replay, I know the live folks have to uh, get situated and get the notifications and all that good stuff. If you are in replay, just want to say welcome. And remember, wherever you're watching, listening, whatever, there is a comment section below. Conversation doesn't have to end just because you're in replay. Utilize those comments. Uh, for those that are filing in on the live side of things, um, if you've got questions, comments, you want to make sure that those get seen by me, there's two ways that you can do that. First way is to hit the little dollar icon below on the chat, and you can drop a super chat. Those certainly help the channel. We appreciate those, but you don't have to drop your hard-earned money on that. Another way you can do it is use the little at symbol. Type at CloverTech, all one word, no spaces, at CloverTech. That should get uh, your comment out there on my radar. Uh, speaking of the Super Chats, we've got uh, thanks, as always. It goes out to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, and also those folks that do throw down their hard-earned dollars uh, into Super Chat. We appreciate that. So without pretty much any further ado, I know a lot of you folks have waited for this one. We have Rachel Malone from GOA, Texas. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? I am well. It's been um, It's been a long session for me. I can imagine it's been a long session for you. It has been a long and brutal session. Uh, we had tremendous results, amazing results, uh, and which I'm, I'm so excited to talk about. But uh, it was it was a lot of work on a lot of fronts. Yeah. Now, going into, I would say, what, November, December, maybe, of 2020. And I can remember being on podcasts, talking about this. We had a lot of people that, you know, we had, of course, Joe Biden presidency and um, the this whole notion of Texas going blue with the fight that Beto put up with Cruz. And it was just this perfect cocktail. And I think I think the shutdowns and I think 2020 was just it was a kick in the teeth for a lot of people in a lot of ways. <laughs> it was. And so I think going into the 2021 session. There was something like 61, I want to say it come out, that there was 61 or something, or maybe it was 21, I don't remember now, you probably know the number, uh, anti-gun bills filed, and people were throwing a fit over that, and I'm like, you know, I've been in Texas a long time, and that's not uncommon. We see bunches and bunches and bunches of anti-bills filed every single session. There were over a hundred filed last session in 2019. Right. And right. so just, and I want to point out right here, just because you have a certain number of pro gun bills filed or passed, um, just the number of bills does not tell you how pro gun the session was. There was a lot of talk about there were 10 pro gun bills filed in the 2019 session. Do you know what they did for most everyday people? Nothing. They did absolutely nothing for almost everybody in Texas um, most of the time. So they didn't, I mean, they were tiny little pieces that were more good than they were bad. Mm -hmm. But here in Texas, we uh, this year, uh, this session, we passed, people are saying seven, we passed more than that actually, uh, mm -hmm. but much more meaningful bills. So don't just look at the numbers, look at what's moving, 
Look at look at what's happening. Um, look at the details behind it, which obviously you are. Yeah. A lot of people, though, you know, to, you know, just just to defend the, the common person, the vast majority of people out there, I think. Um, and, and again, I've I've slow clapped, told everybody pat on the back, because as far as what I've seen on my end, the media side of things, live streaming, the floor debates, the testimonies, all these other things, I've seen so many Texans engaged and putting pressure on these politicians this session it was absolutely absolutely amazing so to those folks pat on the back and and the reason i say that is people have jobs they've got kids that need to go to dance practice or little league or whatever whatever the case may be and so um i think a lot of people they they were paying attention this session but i still don't think that they were paying attention to the extent of they understand how the legislature works. And so when you get, you know, 21 anti-gun bills filed or 61 and you get this, this headline that goes out, people tend to freak out, not knowing that it's, it's one of these situations where any politician can file any type of a bill for any type of a thing, any session, right? I mean, it it could be a total nonsense bill and they can still file it. So that means nothing really in the grand scheme of things. Right. And it, the headlines, I mean, as always in anything, headlines can be very deceiving. Um, don't tell the whole story. But like you mentioned, it is very difficult. Uh, and it's, it, it takes so much sacrifice for the everyday Texan to be involved meaningfully. It is so important. It's critical. Um, I've, I've seen citizen involvement in every session I've, I've been a part of for the past 10 years. But this session blew it out of the park. There were so many people um, driving from so many hours, showing up time after time, giving so much dedication. And this would not have happened with all of them. I, I think it's absolutely appropriate that we give them a big shout out. Um, so many people were involved, whether coming to Austin or being involved in their areas where they were. There was, there was so much more active participation and following along the process. That has a lot to do with why we got this over the finish line. Yeah, because, I mean, everything, you know, they say sunlight disinfects, right? And, and when you're talking <laughs> politics, when you're talking politics, especially so, right? And so I know that, and, and we're going to back up and kind of talk session start to finish. But, you know, speaking more towards the finish line, like like you saying, and, and being able to finish strong, you know, we had so many of these politicians. We had, you know, Patrick, who has historically been not so great, you know, and then people had doubts about what Abbott was going to do. And they had put their foot in their mouth so many times because of the pressure, I think, that we put on them to put their foot in their mouth that there really wasn't any other way they could go with it. Is that sort of the way you feel about it? Right. So, um, there, there was honestly never an actual doubt in my mind that if we passed the bill, Governor Abbott was going to sign it because that was the only politically expedient thing to do. Right. Um, so that really wasn't a question. Um, uh, Speaker Phelan uh, has a strong pro-gun record. And you know I never like to trust in anything, especially in any elected official. But I was very hopeful at the beginning of session that we were going to see much better things from him than we've seen in any other um, house leadership. And I was absolutely right um, with those with those hopes. Um, he, the speaker did a great job. Um, he there was not I don't think there was any single instance where I saw him doing anything to block it like we've seen in previous sessions. It was it was fabulous being able to work and coordinate with his office. Um, but the lieutenant governor then um, he has repeatedly called for gun control. Um, he, he's he's expressed that he you know is 
very uneasy with firearms being carried. And so that was something that was that was an unknown. We were going to have to push past. And ultimately, it was the people of Texas standing up saying, this is what we want to happen. Um, this is our right. This is what the right to keep and bear arms means for us. And we're going to hold you to it. And if they hadn't stood up and pushed it, we wouldn't have gotten this through. And if the House hadn't hadn't pushed it through quickly, we also we, we would have run out of time, run out the clock. You know, the, the stars align. Things came together um, because the grassroots prioritized this. Right. And uh, I want to jump back to the kind of the beginning of things uh, when we were talking about, you know, those anti gun bills that were filed. You know, a lot of people don't realize we we seem to fixate on the pro gun legislation that gets passed. And we don't think and and Texas doesn't have really as big of an issue with this as some other states, maybe in New York or New Jersey or California. But we don't think about the anti-gun bills that don't make it. And sometimes that's just as important, right, as getting that pro 2A legislation through is making sure that we stop the bad stuff. It's important. Um, and it's it, it's an interesting process because on the one hand, absolutely, we have to make sure we stop all the bad bills. There's there's a big ones like the expanded background checks and the red flag laws and things like that. And there's also there are, there are little ones um, that you know might, you might read them and say, oh, is that really bad? And then you realize it's a sneaky little uh, it's a sneaky little bill. Um, and they're they're using it, they're wording it in a way that sounds kind of innocuous, but it's going to get the foot in the door um, and it's going to really do bad things, even if it's in a small area. So yes, you have to stop that. But you can't make such a big deal about those bills, especially with a, a conservative pro-gun legislature that we have, because we don't want anybody to get the impression that all they have to do is stop the bad bills and we'll give them the pat on the back. So, yeah, we have to stop that. We have to do the work to stop the bad bills. But we have to also demonstrate strongly to the legislature that they've got to do more than just stop bad bills in order to earn the pro-gun creds that they want. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. One of the <laughs> one of the things that I've seen in, in comments on some of the podcasts, some of the live streams and other things is, you know, um, you know, Abbott signed it. And then, you know, you know various things was happening and insert politician name here. Right. And they would say, oh, you know, this secured my vote, you know, next time. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. I'm like, it, it's great that they signed these, but don't let one feel that they signed you know, lock in your vote. I mean, your vote is worth more than that. Look at the politician, whoever's running as a whole, right? To say right now that, okay, I'm all in on Abbott because he signed 1927 and we've got it. Well, who's the, who's the, who's going to run against him in the primaries? Maybe there's a better candidate that comes along, right? Um, so I urge people, like you said earlier, not trusting, <laughs> not putting all of your trust anyway in politicians. And I, I 100% agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and like you said, what I found, especially in a state like Texas, where, um, you know, you've got one party at least that's strong and in control and supposedly stands for gun rights. Um, a lot of the legislators running or the elected officials running for that party position will really want to show their pro-gun record. Um, and so they can either do that by having an actual pro-gun record or they can do that by, you know, picking one thing that makes a big public display and doesn't it's not really that hard of a lift, but it looks really great and then go and flaunt that. So, you know, again, a little off track of, of the bill, but but like you were mentioning this, this I, I just wanted to bring it up when you're when you're looking for whom to support, don't look for that 
one big public display that maybe was intended to cover up a series of missteps and maybe they wouldn't promote gun control or maybe they refuse to stand up but look for a consistent record not just not just the thing they're trying to do to get your attention no 100 percent. want to uh talk to the live audience out there for for just a minute we've got quite a few that have filed in uh 300 blackout says he's, he's late we haven't really delved into the session yet so you're not that late uh, blackout. Uh, but I want to say, if you've got questions for Rachel or myself, two ways you can do that. Number one is you can super chat. If you do that, we do appreciate it. But you do not have to go that route if you type the at symbol CloverTech, at CloverTech, all one word. That should highlight it out there in the live chat. I will catch wind of that comment, that question, whether it's for myself or Rachel moving forward. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, yeah, let's start on this legislative session. So, you know, all I heard going in was the anti-bills, the anti-bills, the anti-bills. Uh, I'm sure you were seeing a much different picture uh, than I was seeing. What, what did it look like? Did it look like this was going to be the fight that seemingly we had, which was fighting to get the pro-bills through? Or pre-session, did it look like we were going to have to spend the bulk majority of our time fighting the, the anti-bills? So uh, um, I'm going to divide it up before elections and after elections. So uh, before last November's election, uh, where we replaced the entire, well, all, all of the, the entire House of Representatives was up for election, you know, whether a re-election or, or um, a newcomer, um, and half of the Senate. Okay, so most of, most of the seats were up uh, at the election. And I think every single one of the polls, without fail, predicted it was going to flip completely blue and not just blue, but absolutely ridiculously anti-gun blue, like red flag laws are just the tip of the spear. We're going to take away all your guns like that type of people in office. Um, and so before session, when I was tr when I was going around trying to um, talk to legislators about constitutional carry and gun-free zones and what bills can we file? Let's get bills ready. A lot of the response with most of them was, hey, look, we don't know what's going to happen in elections. We're probably not going to get anything pro-gun through. It's probably going to be just fighting against all the bad stuff. Um, and a, a few of them were willing to talk, but not many. Most of them didn't even want to think about what bills they were going to file. And I think that's one of the reasons you saw just all this model legislation that the anti-gun groups put out and they, you know, they, get people to run with it. You saw a lot of that be filed the very first week of session. And everybody knew it wasn't going to go through. Um, because what happened um, at elections, as everybody in Texas knows, um, the House, the balance between the parties stayed exactly the same. Um, however, we got a more pro-gun, more pro-liberty legislature. We actually replaced some seats you know, within the same party, but to be um, more pro-gun more pro-constitutional carry. So that was great. So as soon as we had that, then people were willing to talk about, hey, what bills can we file? Um, how can we look at this? But it took time uh, to get good bills put together. And so I really wasn't worried. Uh, this has happened every single session. Um, and honestly, uh, I, I think it, it happened less this session. In fact, I was noticing, um, I can't remember at what point, but at some point I was noticing that there were far more pro-gun bills filed um, compared to uh, anti-gun bills um, than in previous sessions. Yes, there were still more anti-gun bills, but the ratio was much better um, than I saw definitely last year. So 
um, you know, I think I think people being scared about that again. It's it's headline reading and not understanding the process and and ha not having followed it for previous sessions, which I'm not faulting anybody for that. But no, I really wasn't worried once we saw the elections. I wasn't worried about anti-gun stuff getting through, uh, although we still need to keep an eye on it, which we did. Um, I, I was hopeful that we were going to be able to push some of the big bills. And, and I'm glad to hear that. I was the same way. Uh, but, you know, unlike the vast majority, again, people have lives. Uh, sure. Like the vast majority of people, you know, I was a little more plugged in uh, than most. And it, it didn't seem to me, it didn't seem out of the ordinary. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've got a, a 20 minute video on the channel and I invite anybody to go check that out about, you know, Texas turning blue uh, in which I go through. Uh, you talk about the balance uh, the partisan balance. Um, I go through that all the way back to 95, I believe. And I break down the partisan ballots by district. Uh, and, you know, cause people want to say, well, Californians are coming in well, but they're moving into places that aren't really skewing the seats. So that really doesn't matter. And I don't want to get off into that uh, except for to say, yes, uh, I am paying attention. Uh, Lucy, uh, you got some explaining to do out there. Ricardo with a $10 Super chat dropping it down it says hello Clover and Rachel, uh, and we've got before we move on Rachel we've got a couple of uh, questions out here that I want to hit you with a little bit off topic but since we got you here Snakebite says um, he says how can we help Rachel says we can keep sending money but what else so that's that's a good question so aside from obviously monetary donations uh, and keeping up the fight like everybody has done so. Uh, wonderfully at this session. What else can you think of that that really helps you do your job? Absolutely. So uh, first thing is make sure you're you're following gun owners of America. Whether you're following us on social media, um, and, and we have a with a both a national Facebook page and Instagram and YouTube channel as well as some other um, other media. Um, as well as the GOA Texas Facebook group, GOA Texas Instagram. So you can follow us there. Definitely make sure you're on our email list and, um, and, and just make sure you're reading those emails. Uh, make sure you're looking for those things that come in, check your spam folder. All of that's very helpful. In fact, we have a Texas alert going out, I think in an hour or so. Um, so make sure you're looking for that as well. Um, and then something else you can do um, right now, start blocking off um, some time for block walking and I'll explain a little bit more about that but block off some time for going and promoting good solid pro-gun candidates in the next primary and in the next general election um, usually a primary is in March but because of redistricting being late it's likely it'll be pushed later but either way there will be block walking happening absolutely by early next year just plan right now. Like you plan ahead for your kids, you know, soccer teams and, and baseball games and everything. Just plan that you're going to be free on at least a weekend or two a month um, to go and block walk January, February, March um, through next year. Plan on that. And here's why. And I want to tell a, little, uh, a brief story. So this goes back to when we saw all these terrible gun control bills being filed. Um, and you may remember um, Terry Mays' bill uh, that would supposedly repeal um, Castle Doctrine. It wouldn't repeal Castle Doctrine. It actually was going to repeal Stand Your Ground Law. Right. Um, yeah, you remember this one, okay? And right. it was all over everywhere. People were like, oh, how could this terrible bill have been filed? I really wish people would have had half that energy a month or two earlier because we had a really great candidate that we endorsed in that race. 
And it was, it we knew going in, he was going to be the underdog because of the way the district was set, but it was possible to win. If we'd had, if we'd had a half, if we had six people showing up for one month, we could have changed the results in that district. It wouldn't have taken that much. We could have done that if we'd had that many people to show up with us, no training required, go pass out literature to those voters. Nobody got excited about that race. It was like pulling teeth to get people to show up and block walk because everybody had something else to do. And then, you know, our candidate got defeated. Terry Mesa got elected. She went and filed that bill and all of a sudden everybody was mad. They got mad a little bit too late. And this time they need to get mad a little bit earlier, get out there and block walk so we can we can keep growing up a, a stronger pro-gun legislature. Now, as far as her district, I'm, I'm not familiar. What area of Texas is that in? That's in Dallas. And that's and that's honestly one example um, that I'll give because it kind of resonates with people because you remember that bill. But there are so many others um, throughout Texas. You look at the look at the senators who um, opposed constitutional carry. Look, the Republican senators who tried to stop that up. We need to go hold their feet to the fire as well, whether it's in a primary, um, whether it's in general election. Uh, so you know, there's there's going to be a lot. We won't be releasing endorsements until until all until at least the end of this year. So it's going to be a while. But that's something that everybody needs to be thinking about and blocking off time to do. So I'm glad you brought up endorsements. And since we're talking about some election type stuff here, I want to ask, I, I've seen it. It was years ago, but uh, there was a, a gentleman I knew locally who was running against um, Travis Clardy, who is the representative uh, in this, yes. this area. I'm sure you're familiar with Travis. Um, and because he had no political record, talking about the the uh, the, the guy that was primarying uh, Travis, he didn't get a rating. So Travis had a better rating, and this was the NRA rating, I want to say. Um, so with y'all's rating, if you've got a politician that's served several terms versus somebody new coming up, do you have a way to rate that out to where it doesn't look like the incumbent just simply because he has a record, no matter how good or bad it is, it looks like that would be the clear choice. Yes. So um, we understand that somebody who's not the incumbent is not going to have a legislative voting record. However, they have a life record. And what we really look at is the life record. You know, what have they done to stand up for gun rights? Is the first time they said anything pro-gun, was it after they filed? Because now they're like, their campaign manager is telling them they need to go look pro-gun. If so, um, we're probably not going to be endorsing them uh, because who knows what they're going to do after they get elected. Um, but do they have a history? Have they shown up to their school board meetings? Have they shown up and fought for constitutional carry? Um, are they firearms instructors? Not that anybody has to be every single one of those, but we look at their life history. And if they are truly pro-gun and they're really going to stand up and be strong for our rights, it'll show in their lives. They will have done something. They'll have somebody to vouch for them who knows them, who's a member of GOA. So we look at that. But also by the same token, we look, we look, I think, at a lot more of what the incumbents do as well as what they don't do. So as I'm sure you know, um, a lot of times the legislature does anti-gun things without taking an, an actual vote. For example, they'll have a bill in committee and the chairman just will refuse to bring it up for a vote. Um, and so what we do is we make sure we know, you know whose fault that is, who is going to vote no on it, who is blocking it up, who told the chairman to block it, who's trying to block this in calendars committee, who's the committee chairman that's, that's responsible for all of this. And we hold them accountable not only for their actions, but also for their inactions. And so that, that would result 
result in somebody like Representative Clardy um, getting a, a poor rating. Um, I, I will say this time around, he jumped on board with constitutional carry not late. Um, he wasn't the very earliest, but it, he, he, came, he came around to it and he voted for it. Um, but last time around, last session, he was on the Homeland Security Committee um, that heard most of the gun bills and it would have heard constitutional carry. And he was the swing vote. He was the one who sometimes voted anti-gun and, and passed anti-gun bills through that committee um, right. and or would tell us, hey, I'm going to refuse to vote yes on this bill. Um, and so we would we would have rated him down on that. Yeah. Um, you know, not to get off into into Travis too much, but I've had obviously being my representative had many a sit down private conversation with him and um yeah in years past have not been at all thrilled with some of the things that came out of his mouth and and senator nichols uh, up here this the exact same way right and so are there are there better that goes back to the elections are there better people that could potentially primary those um and that i would like to you know that i would like to see take that seat I think absolutely. Um, Rain out there with the uh, $9.99 Super Chat or translated into Apple, that's $10, uh, says you rock, Rachel Malone. Um, Thank you, Rain, and thanks for supporting good content like CloverTech. And then we have a uh, we have a question here, and then we're going to get back into kind of talking about the session, I think. Uh, but uh, Blackout out there, he said, did I read that we could have magnetic gun holsters for our cars? Um, now, that was one of the pieces of legislation that passed is the whole firearm in the seat loophole, which made absolutely no sense to me. Um, do you know any of the particulars? I'm, I'm assuming as long as it's holstered now, you're good to go, correct? Yeah. So, obviously, if you have questions about some specific holster, you're going to need to go ask an attorney for legal advice. But I, I, I can tell you what bills passed. So, you know, there right. was nothing that said you may now have a magnetic holster in your car. But... <laughs> Uh, the right. reason that was a problem before um, is uh, if you had a license, you could open carry, but it had to be a belt or shoulder holster. Well, we repealed that belt or shoulder requirement. So now if you um, and we repealed the license requirement. So now um, as long as uh, you're you are legal to carry that gun um, and then you that there wouldn't be a problem with a you know, magnetic holster that isn't attached to your belt or shoulder, because that I believe would fall under open carry. Um, and, and you don't have to have your holster attached to your belt or shoulder at that point. Right. Um, there are, there are some in the weeds things that I'm not going to get into right now. Again, if you have some really in the weed specifics, um, check with an attorney. Um, personally, I, I believe that law shield has put out a really, really good guide to the new constitutional carry law, including all of this stuff. Um, and it's a free ebook if you want to download that for some more nerdy details. And I talked to a, if you talk about Texas Law Shield there, I talked with a few, I've talked with a few of their representatives over the, you know, over the last few months. Uh, one, just a, a few, I say a few weeks back, Lord, probably better than a month now. But um, yeah, he was talking about the work they were putting together, trying to explain it. Um, and also, uh, working with some instructors, which is pretty cool to get that kind of incorporated. And I think that's a, uh, that's a huge deal. Uh, as far as my perspective on that, um, and who was that? That was Blackout that asked that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the legislation says so long as it's in a holster. So whether that holster is magnetic, clip-on, what, whatever, um, I don't think the type of holster necessarily uh, matters if it says it's in a holster. But agree that you, you may want to seek some, 
some legal advice on that. Um, now back to the, the legislative session. So elections are over. The, the inauguration uh, at the federal level has happened. The session here starts. Um, what were the biggies? What were the, what was the, the crown jewel, the, the diamond ring? Was it 1927? So 1927 um, was one of the last constitutional carry bills filed. And honestly, it was kind of a backup. Um, it, it was something that Representative Schaefer said, you know, um, I'm not trying to steal anybody's thunder. There have been other constitutional carry bills filed, but we all know that sometimes you, know, you get a bill that just gets hung up for whatever reason. And he said, you know, I, I just want to have a bill filed to pull out in case it's helpful. Um, and that right there exemplifies the attitude of all of our constitutional carry bill authors. And I'm going to give him a shout out. Um, Representative Biederman was the first one to come out with a press release saying he's going to file this. He did. He filed a strong bill. Representative Hefner filed a very strong bill as well. Um, Chairman White, who was the chair of the Homeland Security Committee, he filed a bill um, and and he worked worked to actually also modify it um, around the time of the, the committee hearing um, to come more into line with some, some of the other uh, provisions that would have lined up with the other bills. Um, we had Schaefer file one. Um, Representative Slauson even filed one towards the end, didn't get as much press. Senator Springer filed a bill um, co-authored by Senator Buckingham in the Senate. Every single one of those, um, none of them was in it for their own ego. None of them was in it to say I was the one who passed constitutional carry. Every single one of them would have loved to be up there and loved to be the one with their name on it. But more than that, they cared about the issue. And I just want that to sink in because that is so rare. I think this is the first time I've really seen that measure of that many people working together with that kind of attitude. They cared about the issue. So constitutional carry was going to be one of the big issues moving in. The people were really moving on it. That was just the priority. Um, but it wasn't, we didn't know what bill it was going to be. And we had to work them all and we had to work all the bill authors. And thankfully they, they helped that to happen well. I'm really impressed with um, with what I've seen on the you know the floor debates of the House. We we streamed that. A lot of the folks out there yes. uh, listen live and in replay uh, watched with us. I think at one time we had at any given time 1,400 people watching that or, nice. or something. It was uh, it was pretty crazy. And Matt talking about Representative Schaefer uh, yeah. was just was just a rock star. And so from yeah. I've got I've got two questions dealing with that. The first, on a scale of one to ten, um, with how pivotal his performance was at, at getting it over the hurdle, on a scale of one to ten, ten being the best, what what grade would you give Matt? Scale of one to ten, I would give him a two hundred. <laughs> uh, not even kidding. Um, so, so like a Marshall, was... like a Marshall amplifier. He was eleven. Is what you're saying, right? <laughs> yes, he was amazing, and. And I, I'm, I'm glad everybody got to see um, what he did to defend all of our rights on the House floor. But I think we can all appreciate he didn't just wake up that morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to go for it today. Uh, he prepared. He spent I don't even know how many hundreds of hours working on the bill to get the bill just right. Even when it was the backup bill, even when he had no clue who was going to go through. His staff met so many hours. He had he had binders of information. He'd done his research. He wanted to make sure he had all of his facts right. Because his goal wasn't just to get up there and, you know, give some BS and spout off some things about our rights and, and kind of get it through. He wanted to give the truth. 
He wanted to put a face on it. He wanted people to understand what this really is, what's being happened. And he wanted to, to stick up for all those who wanted to vote for it, but maybe weren't sure about it um, and help them understand that this is what the bill does. And it's, tr it's because of his dedication that, of, of studying and researching that he was able to do such a rock star job of defending our rights for seven hours on the floor that day against so many attacks. Um, but also he was able to pull in um, so many co-authors and joint authors and, um, and, and, and on both sides of the aisle, it was a bipartisan vote. Um, there, he, there were seven Democrats who voted in favor um, at the end of the day um, at, at, on the House side. And that was due to him going and working with them and talking about what it does and helping them understand how this is positive for their communities. And I'll, I'll give them all the kudos for that. Right. Um, so the second part of that, you talked about all of the other uh, politicians down there that filed their constitutional carry, carry bills. Um, once it was apparent that 1927 was kind of the one, um, can you speak at all on how the other bill authors, authors, did they kind of rally behind Schaefer's bill, rally behind 1927 and help to hold that up and, and get that through? Absolutely. I never saw any of them come up and say, well, it wasn't my bill, so go have fun with your bill. Um, there was never any of that kind of attitude. And, and, and even when we weren't sure which it was going to be, they were all working together to say, hey, you know, wh whose bill has the strongest chance? Like, what, what's the best that we can do for Texas? Um, and that attitude continued the whole way. So even after it was 1927, they were all proud to support it, proud to be a part of, of just the historic fact of passing this legislation more than putting their name forward on it. Right. And the reason that I, the reason that I asked that question is, and I'm sure there's some folks that are, that are watching and listening that, that seen this, but when we had the floor debate, it was going through the amendment process in 1927. There was some of the other bill authors that, that, that tried to make amendments to 1927 and Schaefer said, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't support those. And I'm like, so that got me to wondering, was there any animosity, you know, was anything going on there? So that, it's great to hear that everybody was kind of on the same page. Yeah, and, and I want to point out that I, I think it's perfectly possible and it should happen more often that maybe you can disagree with someone, maybe vote differently, but that doesn't mean there's animosity. Maybe that means you have different beliefs about either what is right or what is the right thing to do in this situation right now. Um, and, and yeah, there were, there were uh, I think Representative Biederman brought a couple of amendments, which um, philosophically Representative Schaefer supported. Um, for his particular bill at that time, he felt like it wasn't advantageous to have those. Um, and I, I think they had expressed that and had that conversation earlier. Um, and you know, I, I just really appreciate the, the class act. I think somebody, somebody mentioned that. Um, absolutely. He's a class act that he was able to, um, you know, not take it personally um, and just want to move the issue forward the, to the best of his ability. Right. Um, real quick for everybody out there live, if you have a comment for myself or Rachel or question, I should say more so than comment, uh, you've got the option to super chat, of course, thanks to those that have already done that. Uh, or you can type at CloverTac, the at symbol CloverTac, all one word. That'll highlight it. I'll see it and um, and we'll go into it. I want to shift gears a little bit, get away from the Constitution carry in 1927, because there's two bills that came out that I don't know what to think. And a lot of other people don't know what to think either about these. And that's the suppressor freedom and the two a sanctuary for me, the suppressor freedom is I'm, I'm leery of it. Not because it's awesome as far as the gesture, political posturing and all of this other stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, having Paxton as AG potentially, you know, with some 
court cases and other things. It's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. It worries me that people are going to hear that and go build suppressors thinking that it's just free reign to do so and potentially get into some kind of trouble. Um, and then the second is the, the 2A sanctuary, which a lot of other states have done. Obviously, a lot of counties in Texas have done that, including my own. But again, that those seem more like just a political posturing rather than um, an actual tangible something like constitutional carry, like 1927 uh, gives us back, right? It's like yeah. those are laying some framework potentially for future stuff. Um, you want to comment on those two specifically yeah. for a minute? Yeah, I do. So both of those were priority for us. I put a lot of time and effort personally into the suppressor bill. I did also last session. It's one of my favorite bills. Um, and I, I think the difference here and, and kind of what I see you struggling with is, well, it's not going to change our lives immediately come September 1st. You know, we it, even though that bill passed, even though it's going to go into effect September 1st, we still can't safely go out and start manufacturing and selling and flaunting all of our homemade uh, made in Texas suppressors. Like, don't do that, guys. You could still be subject to federal prosecution um, and you want to do it carefully. But what the bill does is it, it's it's a necessary first step in the process. And if we never passed it, we wouldn't have any way of moving forward through the judicial process. Um, so we could either say, well, you know, the, the, the first step isn't going to get us anywhere, so we won't take the first step. Or we can say, OK, go ahead and take the first step, um, set it up so we can take the next steps and, and get this judicially upheld, hopefully without somebody having to be a test case and go to jail. And that's you know, that's the way the bill is set up, that we can do that we can do that without somebody being that test case and risking federal prosecution. So that's why I like the suppressor bill. And if anybody is interested in exactly what it does, check out um, the GOA Texas website. Go to um, texas.gunowners.org, um, texas.gunowners.org. Uh, just check that out. Um, do a search for the suppressor bill. And I have um, fact sheets on it. You can see exactly what it does. You can read about suppressors. You can see me shooting a suppressor and all that sort of fun stuff. So, no, I like it very much. It's important people understand it correctly, but I think it's a very positive step. We needed to do that. Um, Second Amendment sanctuary. Um, I absolutely agree uh, with the policy, uh, with the concept behind Second Amendment sanctuary. I will say that the bill that Texas passed is one of the weakest ones that I've seen um, ever, whether filed in Texas or other states. It's one of the weaker ones. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with with past or you know, pre-existing federal regulations. It's only for anything Biden and beyond. Um, and it, there's no individual criminal penalty, um, which I've supported personally. However, even with what it is, what it's designed to do is to keep our state from helping to enforce any Biden gun grab regulations or, or Biden Harris or anybody future. Um, and it's, you know, we, we, we could have called this, right? Uh, we saw we saw some uh, Biden gun grab proposals um, through ATF regulations with the pistol braces, with targeting homemade firearms, um, with moving towards a gun registry. And, you know, we've seen more rolling out, it seems like every single week, and they just keep on getting worse. Well, this bill is designed to help fight against that. Um, and so uh, I believe just a, just a few minutes ago, um, Congressman Chip Roy released a letter signed by a number of others from the Texas congressional delegation calling on Governor Abbott to utilize the provisions of the Second Amendment Sanctuary Act and make sure he withholds funding from any um, anybody in Texas, any state entity or, or organization or subdivision that tries to enforce these federal gun grab laws uh, that may be coming down the pipe or the regulations that may be coming down the pipe from Biden. So bottom line, 
despite the fact that the bill definitely could have been stronger, I think it still is going to be enough to help protect Texans effectively um, from those federal gun grab regulations. Um, it's not gonna it, it's not gonna stop the feds from coming in and enforcing their own laws, but let's face it, they don't have the manpower to be all over Texas streets all over the state every day. They would rely on local and state law enforcement, which hopefully will be prevented from enforcing any of those regulations. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you, you mentioned foundational aspects uh, of these things. And, and we do have a, a question out there again from Snake Bath that, that sort of directly relates to what we're talking about. But when I talk about it, you know, I talk about it's the Hail Mary football terminology, Texas, go figure, right? The Hail Mary versus the ground game, right? The ground and pound. And so our, our rights, especially 2A, have been whittled away. They've been chipped away. Everybody says that. They've chipped away, right? They haven't been a big, huge chunk knocked off necessarily at one time. It's been chipped away over, you know, over 100 years, um, roughly, uh, in, a, in that time frame. So it makes sense, right, that the approach to regain that liberty um, is to chip back in the opposite direction because that's an effective approach. How often do you get that Hail Mary shot? Whereas if you're able to get that three, four-yard gain, every single down, well, eventually you're going to put it in the end zone. It's just going to happen. So um, with that, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of anxiety and I don't know whether it's new people. You know, we know that every year we take on millions of new firearm owners and a lot of those new firearm owners discover the second amendment, which guarantees their right to those sorts of things. Um, and Maybe they're unaware of the history of what's went on in their state, the history of what's went on federally as far as, you know, anti-gun legislation uh, or even pro-gun legislation. One of the things I've said this whole time is people would go, well, 1927 is not perfect. It's not perfect. And I'm thinking, when has there ever been a piece of legislation ever in the history of government that was perfect? There, I don't think there ever has, right? Perfect legislation, I think, is an oxymoron. So, with that in mind, I fall back to the CHL. It wasn't perfect, but it got tweaked along the way. And then we got LTC and it got tweaked along the way. And then now we've got 1927, which admittedly, I think not perfect, but again, it gives us that foundation, that starting point. So to that avail, what Snakebite out there is asking this is, can we also get an NFA nullification bill? And I think especially for SBR, SBS, um, the suppressor freedom could be a foundational step for that in the future, correct? Absolutely. Um, it, it gives kind of that placeholder in law where you can you can add more things to it. Because um, at the end of the day, I, I, I think suppressors are unlike any of the other items restricted by yes. the NFA. But at the same time, we don't think any of those items should be restricted. We don't think you should have to pay your extra tax and wait for a year or two or however long um, and go through a, basically a registry to to get there. So, um, yes, we would love. We would, I mean, obviously, GOA is fighting at the national level, which is a, a rough ride right now. Um, but I think there are things like that that we can do at the state level um, to stop some of the infringement on additional NFA items. Um, did we lose you or are you just muted? Yeah, I'm back. So, oh, yeah. so <laughs> gotcha. building off of building off of the talking about the anxiety, a lot of people have, I, I've seen so much frustration. Uh, even though this session was exciting for me, 
Um, again, I get it. And especially once it got to the point of the committee. Oh, Lord. We we were telling folks um, that, you know, hey, it, it, it looks like when they were like, well, the Senate added the amendment. So now it's got to go back to the House. Well, the House just needs to to bring it up for a vote. The House just needs to do it. And we're like, yeah, but if there's procedural issues or something going on, then it doesn't need to get derailed, shot down on a technicality. We don't want that to happen. And then they brought it to the House floor. We were watching live when this happened. And immediately, that's what happened. And the feed went mute. And they almost had fistfights on the uh, on the chamber floor there, it seemed like. It was horrible. In fact, we had... <laughs> We had a, a person that was actually in the chamber at the same time he was in the live stream for that. Um, and he was feeding us info that these people are yelling at each other. And he's like, it's it's rough. And then it come back and everybody kind of withdrew. And then we found out that it that it ultimately went to went to committee. Um, and that built that built a lot of frustration with people because that that almost validated to them that, oh, this is this is over. So what were your thoughts? I, I know in talking with you leading up, you were pretty sure that it was likely to go to a committee, I think, anyway. Um, did did your thoughts change at all once that actually happened? Or Because it seemed like uh, Phelan put in, it kind of put the chess pieces in play, I think, for the committee there, wouldn't you say? He did. He did put them in play. So um, I'll be honest. So the... Um, the issue wasn't whether, well, th there were a lot of issues at play. So what what happens when a bill comes over? So it's been, it, you know, the House passed one version, the Senate passed the other version, and then the Senate sends it back to the House. And typically then the House can say either, yes, we approve, or um, no, we don't approve, and, and ask for it to be sent to a conference committee to work out the differences. Mm -hmm. The problem we had is there were some... Um, major procedural issues with it uh, that would have kept it from going to either one of those. Right. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, we're only going to have to you know, do one of those options, not the other. Um, the procedure, but so there, there was an option that would have just, you know, could have basically died and let the clock run out on it at right. that point. Um, there were a lot of little, very uh, miraculous little pieces that came together um, that ensure that that didn't happen. And then Representative Schaefer made the decision right then um, in, because they were able to get past the point of order. He then could have said, I move to accept what the Senate did. It would have been done, sent to the governor. He made the strategic decision not to accept what the Senate had done, um, which it's rolling the dice. Um, yeah, it's, it's gambling a little bit there. Um, he sent it to a conference committee. There was a small chance that it could have died but I 100% supported what he did. And I talked with him about this ahead of time. And I encouraged him to go ahead and send it to a conference committee because by that time we had enough grassroots support. There was enough time. And I thought we actually had a chance of making it better. And we did. And right. so I'm so glad he had the guts um, to, to roll that dice there and send it to the conference committee, move, uh, remove some of the, some of the bad things, the bad provisions that the Senate had put in, put back in some of the good provisions the Senate had taken out, like the expungement one, mm -hmm. um, and, and get a better bill to the governor's desk. Expungement brought, brought in by a Democrat, by the way, Mrs. T did that, Yes, uh, which was yes. an amazing, amazing moment during the, uh, live stream. I'll never forget. We were live streaming that. And she she said that, and 
we were talking amongst ourselves. I mean, a Democrat came up to to propose an amendment, right? So it's like we're not paying attention, and we're talking in the live stream, and we heard expungement, and she said, uh, "Did did you hear me? Do I need to repeat that?" <laughs> That's what she said on the chamber floor. And we were like, um, "Please." I mean, she completely caught us off guard. It was like she was talking to us, literally. Um, and that it was that was an amazing uh, amendment. So I was I was I was disheartened when the Senate yeah. pulled that to start with. I'm like, why on earth would you would you even that don't even make any sense? And then um, that's one of the things that did great. I agree with you that came out of committee. I mean, that that almost had to had to be there. Um, moving from. That obviously came out of committee, you know, everything kind of uh, went cool and smooth, seemed like from there. uh, We pretty much knew, I think, at that point, once it once it come back from committee, it was it was a done deal. Uh, But then the time started for Governor Abbott. And here we go with the anxiety and the frustrations. Like everybody (laughs) wanted it signed yesterday. Like, why didn't Abbott go down to the Senate chamber? Right. And sign it. And they're like, okay. You don't understand the administrative aspect of things when bills are passed and things have to be enrolled and signed. And, you know, there's all of that going on. And then also, this is a big deal, right? It's a big deal. And so in order to schedule a signing event and, you know, give it the proper due and the ceremony, you have to coordinate schedules and all of this other stuff goes on. Um what kind? What were you hearing? Because I heard it in the time from the time it passed the Senate. Of course, every news agency out there, you know, headlines that Texas has passed, you know, constitutional carry, and then we've got what was it? Two, three weeks, uh, roughly, you know, two weeks, I guess, at least, uh, of just kind of waiting for Abbott to yeah. sign it. And I heard so much negativity, like, "Why is he already signed it? I'm not voting for Abbott anymore. He's Abbott's trying to tank this or veto it." And it's like. Lord, you, you got to understand, put yourself in, in the shoes of these politicians, right? They want to make a spectacle out of it. And unfortunately, that takes time. That was at least where I was at on it. Yeah. So uh, it's, I think people's concept was that every day Abbott got up and went to work and he had this one bill, 1927, sitting on his desk. And he just sat there smirking, saying, I'm not going to sign it today. Like, I, I think that's what people were thinking was actually happening. When in reality, if you go look at the stats um, uh, on on Texas Legislature Online, um, what he was doing during that time is going through his staff was reviewing um, all the bills that he had that he had only a ten day um, signing signing deadline where he could review them and sign them. Um, constitutional carry he had 20 days because it was passed so close to the end of session so he was reviewing those he had 3,000 I think 3,800 bills um, to sign and so by the end of session he'd signed 300 of them he still had 3,000 left to sign his staff was trying to review all of them um, to verify what needed to happen he he vetoes very few bills but his staff you know, likes to do due diligence and read through them and understand them. And that's not always something you can do ahead of time because the bills change at the last minute, like we saw with this bill in sometimes very meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I think the reality is, um, you know, I, I expected basically this. Um, I was thinking, you know, it could have been as early as a, as a week before that, but it did not at all surprise me um, that that he chose to do it three days before his deadline. It made perfect sense. Um, I hoped from the beginning that we'd go to the Alamo to do it. I, I hoped we'd be out front with the actual Alamo, you know, right. shape 
in the background. Unfortunately, we were in the conference room, so you couldn't see the Alamo. But it was still special to be there at the Alamo complex. I think that that was meaningful to me, and it, it was something. And obviously, something like that takes time. So for me personally, I put out my communications. I said, look, we did all the things. Everybody showed up. We did every single thing we were supposed to. We, you know, miracles happened. The grassroots got all this passed, gave the shout outs to everybody. And then I kind of hunkered down. Like I, I was trying to actually sleep for the first time in six months and catch up on some of that. Um, and then I, you know, uh, came back a couple of days later to all these, you know, hate emails saying, oh, GOA is not giving us any news. Like y'all are hiding something from us. Kind of like, really? And they're like, oh, I think now that means it's going to fail. You just failed us. You know, I'm going to, you know, pull my GOA membership. I had a couple of those, a couple of those great fan emails. Right. So, um, but almost everybody, um, I, I got to say, those those were one-offs. Um, that was a little disappointing to see some of the lack of understanding. And, and um, you know, th there literally was nothing else for me to do during that time. We had done everything. We already won. Um, I think it just was a little harder to see it because we hadn't gotten the signature. We hadn't had the party. Um, and, you know, frankly, I was too exhausted to have a party. But anyway. Um, I get it though. Like it's under, it's completely understandable that you right. know, people are like, well, what's happening? You know? And, and I didn't want to go and say, well, just trust Abbott. Cause I'm never going to tell you to go trust a politician. So all I could say was just wait and see, I think we're going to be okay. And yeah, we were okay. He signed them all. Right. Well, I mean, I looked at it. There was a lot of people that said, well, you know, we had Memorial day in there and they said, oh, it was a good opportunity. You should have signed it on Memorial day. And I'm like, well, eh, you know, I can see how that could come off as disrespectful if he did that. Plus, you've got Memorial Day weekend. And again, with a with a ceremony, you're talking about scheduling and different senators and different representatives and different other people with organizations, right, that that need to be at that at that signing ceremony. Um, and then as we pushed a little further, it, it kind of fell into place. The signing did with me, too, because I seen Juneteenth coming up and I was like, well, there's no way he's going to do it on. If he didn't do it on Memorial Day, there's pretty much no way he's going to do it on Juneteenth weekend either. That's technically all day weekend. I was honestly hoping it was going to be on Juneteenth because I think that's a huge deal for gun rights and for gun owners. Um, that's the day we celebrate slavery being ended and a whole segment of our population being recognized as people with constitutional rights. So it's kind of like the day when... Um, when the Second Amendment is recognized um, for actually all people. Um, and, and so I thought that would be really meaningful, especially because constitutional carry is repealing a Jim Crow era law that banned carry of handguns outside your property, but it was actually a very racist motivated law. So mm -hmm. I was, I was kind of hoping, hoping for Juneteenth just as a, as a show of, you know, this is, this is when rights are respected um, for all people. But, um, you know, I was glad that it happened and June 17th was fine. Right. Yeah. Now it's got its own day too, which is which is great. <laughs> um, I want to give you Rachel a, a few minutes here at the end. We've talked. We've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, is there anything we missed that's kind of important to uh, let people in on? Uh, something that happened prior to the to the legislative session, during, after the bills. Is there anything that that you want to talk about? I want to talk about Texas Gold, real quick. Texas Gold was Gun Owners Lobby Day, and we had it planned. We were going to do this big in-person event at the Capitol, and then COVID just 
<laughs> we didn't want to plan on that. Um, I had this plan two years ago, y'all. So um, we decided to go virtual and that was the best thing we could have ever done. So we had a big briefing and we, we pulled everybody in on Zoom. We helped them understand the legislative process. We divided them into groups. Um, it was crazy chaos, but it worked um, into house district groups to connect with people there, into Senate district groups. And then we asked each, each district group to go and meet with their senator or their house representative or at least a chief of staff legislative director in the office. Um, and a lot of those meetings happened on Zoom. Um, the legislature was much more open to Zoom meetings. It was great. People could do it from their homes. Um, and I think that had a huge impact on the House saying, oh, there are a lot of people whose lives will be positively affected. You know, this is everyday ordinary people. And our activists, our GOA members, uh, were, were really great about putting a face on the legislation. It's great to go and say, hey, this is about my rights. It respects my rights. But it's difficult to get legislation passed if you stop there. You have to put a face on it and show your story behind it. And I am so proud of our members for doing exactly that. And I think that's exactly why the House said, you know, this is a bill we can confidently move forward and, and push to the Senate and get all the way through. Awesome. Um, M.M. Pannon out there says, yep, Texas Gold is, is how I got involved. So there you go. That's awesome. Thank you so much. You guys are one of the ones who made a difference. So RK uh, drivers is most productive to a legislative session in the history of the country. Am I right? That's something that um, we've got a really big Texas YouTuber, let's say, uh, that did put out a video uh, not too long ago talking about Texas now being the most pro to a state. Um, from your perspective, true or false with that? So, um, Absolutely. I've put out many press releases and emails that say um, this was the most uh, Texas biggest stand for gun rights since the Alamo. Um, it, it's the strongest pro-gun legislation Texas has ever passed in the history of the state. Um, I, I am so Texas focused. I couldn't give you, you know, examples. I couldn't compare it to other states. But honestly, yeah. what matters outside of Texas, right? So, <laughs> right. Exactly. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Texas, Texans don't care about anything, and that's that's not true. We do. Uh, and speaking <laughs> of that, for everybody out there live and in replay, uh, I've got a podcast. You can get links that way. You can watch any other GunTuber video, probably on YouTube, and find them. Uh, you can go to GOA website, I'm sure, and find them. But comment periods uh, for the ATF, the receivers, and the pistol braces, you need to be throwing down those comments. If you need help. Uh, in crafting those comments, look up gun websites. He's been reading a lot of the comments, and I'm telling you, those little videos where he does that, you can get a lot of good ideas uh, on uh, constructive comments because just getting on there cursing, yelling shall not be infringed, that sort of thing, you need to give them some substance and some uh, and some meat to chew on. Um, Rachel, in, in closing here, uh, just real quick, following you, following GOA Texas, uh, Hit on again kind of what you talked about before with the various support mechanisms, not just monetary, uh, and give us that spill before we get out of here. Right. So go to your favorite social media, whether it's um, YouTube, we've got YouTube channel or Instagram or Facebook. Um, we've got a couple others going on too. search for Gun Owners of America. And also search for GOA Texas um, for the Texas specific information. Um, and make sure you're following us there. Make sure you're you know, selected to actually view what we're putting out because you know how the algorithms worked. Um, make sure that you are subscribed to our emails or, or looking through our website regularly. And again, that's um, the website is gunowners.org for national things, which would include the ATF comments. Um, so gunowners.org. 
or gunowners.org slash Texas. That'll take you to our whole entire Texas website with a ton of information. Um, you can sign up for email alerts. Um, so make sure make sure you are connected with us there, and we really appreciate that. Rachel, I want to want to thank you for uh, taking taking the time here and coming on. I will say, you know, thank you also for all you did. You're definitely we talked about several rock stars this legislative session. You're one of them. Uh, I know you're too humble to admit that, but you are, and I'm sure many folks out there in the chat know that you are. So, uh, yeah, thanks for all you do for us here in Texas. Right back at you. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, that's going to do it for this one. Look for another CloverTech podcast when they come because you never really know. Uh, that's it for us here. Until next time, don't forget to chain fire freedom. <laughs>